0: Good morning. Today we're continuing in our series, Disciple Culture, as we move to the very next verses of Mark 8 and look at the discipline of Sabbath. Now, Sabbath is a discipline that I believe, personally, we've practiced poorly as a people until now, until we were globally forced into a time of Sabbath. Before this, we were a people just running and burning it at both ends with our demanding schedules and overly busy lives. It's a time where we've been invited into scripture says we command it but i think it's only because we don't understand the heart behind god's invitation for us to sabbath i've read a lot of books on spiritual disciplines over the years and i don't believe there's a better work ever written than mark buchanan's the rest of god where he truly captures the essence of what god gave us in the sabbath i'm going to quote from buchanan a couple times today and i'm going to start by showing you just how i see he's captured what god intended He says as he looks at even Lord of the Rings and sees the essence of God's Sabbath invitation placed right here in this text by Tolkien, it says, Tolkien gives one of the most entrancing descriptions of the true nature of Sabbath. In book one of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, he describes a time of rest and healing in the house of Elrond in Rivendell. The hobbits, along with Strider, their guide, have made a dangerous, almost fatal journey to this place. They will soon have to make an even more dangerous, almost certainly fatal journey away from this place. But in the meantime, this. For a while, the hobbits continue to talk and think of their past journey and the perils that lay ahead. But was this was the virtue of the land of Rivendell, that soon within it all fear and anxiety was lifted from their minds. The future, good or ill, was not forgotten, but ceased to have power over the present. Health and hope grew strong within them. They were content with each day as it came, taking pleasure in every meal, in every word, and in every song. The future, good or ill, was not forgotten, but ceased to have power over their present. That's Sabbath. Sabbath is referenced better, commanded twice within Scripture. It says that we are to observe the Sabbath and keep it holy in Deuteronomy 5. That word observe is really meaning to anticipate, to look forward to, to have a plan and intentional time that you are aiming towards. And then in Exodus 20, it says that we're to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. That is to not forget the rest of God, His words, and His actions that He has shown us and spoken to us over time. If this were to become a literal day within our week as history has has pronounced it, then it would be a day that we would be commanded to anticipate and look forward to for our good and out of it be di- be directed to apply those things that God has spoken to us and shared with us in rest and apply them to the rest of our week. So we would anticipate a Sabbath time and then out of it we would operate. Buchanan goes on and he says, "'Sabbath is the one day it is a reprieve from what you ought to do. Even though the list of oughts is infinitely long and never done, oughts are tyrants, noisy and surly, chronically dissatisfied. Sabbath is the one day you trade places with them. They go into the salt mine and you go out dancing. It's the one day when the only thing that you must do is not do the things that you must.'" You are given permission, issued a command, even to be blunt, to turn your back on all those oughts. You get to willfully ignore the many niggling things that your existence generally depends on and is often hobbled beneath so that you can turn whatever you've put off and pushed away for lack of time, for lack of room, or lack of breath. You get to shuck the half twos and lay hold of the get twos. It's a day to forget our to-do list and create for ourselves a not-to-do list. As we have been forced into this time of quarantine where we cannot work and (laughs) formally gather in ways that we have become accustomed, does Buchanan's definition sound familiar to you? Quarantine is a time, if we will take it, to begin the very practice of Sabbath, a time where we can begin to Accept the invitation of God to rest in Him and to stop being slave to our schedule. Today, we're going to turn our attention to Mark 8, and again, we're going to remember that this was the time where Jesus had ministered with the Gentiles, that He had them literally eating out of His hand. Last week, we saw how He fed the, the 4,000 or tens of thousands, and they were enamored with the very person of Jesus, so much so that they had forgotten to eat. They were enamored with him, so he fed them spiritually and physically. And now as we turn in these next few passages, Jesus is moving back into Jewish country. He's immediately confronted, as he does, by the contentious religious leaders that he left two, three months ago as he took his disciples into Gentile country. Can't you see this picture right here? It's much like the hobbits who stop in Elrond. These disciples are following Jesus, and they've come from a time of contention into a time of rest and this infatuation with Jesus by the Gentiles to come out of it straight back into a time of contention where they're confronted immediately by the Jews. The Gentiles were a time of reprieve, a time of receptivity. And he wanted the disciples to grasp that, to get that, to understand that. And he wanted to see the distinction between the countrymen of his own birth, the Jews, how they had turned away, denied him, rejected him, and even sought in the religious leaders to kill him. Let me read on. It says in Mark 8, verse 11, The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back in the boat, and crossed to the other side. The Disciples had forgotten to bring bread except the one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them, watch out for the yeast or leaven of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, it is because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see and understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see, ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember, when I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the four thousand, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, Seven. He answered them, Do you still not understand? You see, Jesus in this illustration is taking the word yeast or leaven and he's applying it to doctrine. That's what it represents. Doctrine is practice. And so he says, even a little bit of poor practice can either, can ruin a batch of dough. So if you have good practice or bad practice, it can make the entire dough either good or bad. Just a small amount can either raise that dough or ruin it altogether. The first thing he points out is the doctrine or the practice of the religious leaders because they have developed a culture of religious earning. Now, the Pharisees and Sadducees both come to Jesus in this instance, it says, and the Pharisees and Sadducees have nothing in common. You need to, need to understand outside of a common enemy in Jesus, these two parties, though both aristocratic and leaders within the Jewish body, are not friends. They do not uh, commingle. The Pharisees focused on law, and they focused on the practice and the teaching of law. They focused and believed in a resurrection, while the Sadducees focused more on the practical. They focused on finances. They focused on the lack of a resurrection, and they were a people that practiced in the mystical far more. These people do not agree. They they only have one common thread, and that is a mutual hatred for Jesus. They've come to him demanding a sign, a proof of sign in the heavens, because what they're doing is ultimately, if they can prove that Jesus can only perform miracles here on earth, then it supports the narrative that they've already thrown out, that he is actually of the devil or the world or the underworld, and that he's actually of Beelzebub. See, a sign in the heavens would mean that he was from God. And so if he could perform a sign in the heavens, that would mean that he came from above. But if he can only perform signs here on earth, then he must be from below. Matthew 12 also recounts this very same moment where they demanded for a sign, and it says that Jesus responds with a sigh of exasperation. That they, he shows up and is immediately gets back into Jewish country. He's hit with this contention, and he's like, enough already. I mean... Only a wicked and adulterous generation demands a sign. He says, I know that you're not coming that I would show sign of my power. I know that you're asking for signs so you can seek to ensnare me. And the sad thing is in Matthew 12, it says that they have an ability to determine the weather by looking at the way the sky looks. So he says that they know how to look to the sky, but they wouldn't recognize a sign from heaven if it was directly in front of them. He actually calls them out in Matthew 12 and says, you're better meteorologists than you are theologians because you can't discern the times or the Messiah when he stands directly in front of you. So I'm not going to give you a sign except the ultimate one. I'm going to give you the sign of Jonah. I'm going to go into the belly of the earth as a son of man and I'm going to come out three days later defeating ultimately your problem, sin, pride, arrogance, and self-worship. I'm going to defeat the thing that separates you from God so that you might be drawn into the fold and you might be for those who would trust him known as his finally. And here's the thing. It's as if we can gather that Jesus is directing his disciples to be free of this burden, this bondage of a Jewish culture religiously of earning. It is so heavy. In fact, in Matthew 11, just before this exchange in Matthew 12 and Mark 8, it says that Jesus says to him, uh, to, to all people, he says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, my doctrine, my practice upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is is light. You see, he's asking his disciples and all who would listen to come to him and find relief because Jesus is our Sabbath. He wants them to find relief from the heaviness of religion and the heaviness of a worldliness like the gentiles had experienced, like secularism. So that's our next point. He wants them to have freedom from the heaviness of a of religion where earning is the culture and he wants us to be free of the doctrine of Herod, or worldliness. See, the Gentiles were a people that that Jesus got to introduce his disciples to, and their receptivity of him, but they were still secularists. They were people who practiced false religions and self-worship. They were heavy with spiritual bondage to false gods, So Jesus is not asking them to turn from Judaism to embrace Gentilism altogether. He's saying, no, I want you to understand an entirely new way. I don't want you to exchange the yoke of Judaism, which was heavy, to replace it with the yoke of Gentilism. I want you to abandon them altogether and take my yoke upon you because it is my yoke alone that is light and without burden." and without heaviness. So you see, he presents that in this passage, in this exchange, that people are going to respond and have a adverse response to Jesus. They will either reject him or they'll receive him. And here he points out the two. He says there's a rejection of the religious leaders who in contention are trying to ensnare him and ultimately want him dead, and there's a receptivity of his own disciples. And you can see their response is so contrasted. It looks like this, that the Pharisees and the Sadducees were literally united in their hatred of Jesus. They had nothing else that was a common thread. But the thing that united the disciples was a love for him. So Jesus brought unity, even on opposing ends. The the rejection of the religious leaders were drawn together by a mutual hatred of Jesus while his disciples were united in love for him. The religious leaders, with the exposure and the teaching of Jesus, the exposure to additional light drew even greater rejection from them. But the exposure to greater light for the disciples drew them in with a greater desire to learn. They wanted to press in even further to him. They wanted to know precisely what he meant by the, by his yoke and they wanted to not miss a word and not miss an action because they they trusted their master and they knew his way not only meant life but it knew it meant a new way of life and they were hungry for it. Just like those Gentiles were receptive and enamored with Jesus. Lastly, the rejection of the religious leaders When they were exposed to Jesus, it led to only spiritual darkness being deepened. But the disciples and all who would follow him, their spiritual darkness was dissipated by exposure to Jesus. And the question is this morning, which one will you be? How will you choose to respond to Jesus today? Which way? If we answer, disciple... Then it requires the rejection of the heaviness that comes with legalistic and empty church doctrine. It requires the rejection of worldly lusts as well. It requires rejecting these things to implicitly receive and trust the lightness that's found in submission to the person of Jesus. It brings freedom, a deepened desire to grow in Him, and ultimately a deepened desire to share Him and His love with others because we've received the love He first had for us. John 13 says that, that He expects us. This is the new command that He left His New Testament church with, that we'd love others as He has loved us. <laughs> this morning, how much do you find yourself in a tug-of-war, trying to keep up in this demanding culture of earning? Haven't you found yourself wrestling and... In, in, in feeling the weight isn't it isn't it heavy for you to strive to earn favor religiously or to try to keep up with the joneses secularly when all the while the lord is welcoming us into rest in him regularly much like the hobbits were stuck between perilous adventure in their in the recount by tolkien they were nearly dead before they came to Revendale, and then they were certainly facing even more perilous times afterwards. The Bible says that anyone who aligns herself with Jesus, the world will hate you. So there is a storm for anyone who has aligned themselves with light and rejected darkness. We live in a storm. For anyone who is his and in him, we live in a storm. And so it would make sense that we would find a place, just like they did, of regular conversation rest and reconnection to him and each other. This is the invitation, the command of Sabbath itself, that we would put a day in our week where we could walk out of the perilous times that brought us into that day and one that gave us instruction and rest so that we could navigate the perilous times that come in the rest of our week following it. Don't don't you you just desire a day where you can take a guilt-free nap? This is Sabbath. It's the day that God desired for you. It's a place to rejuvenate by completing your not-to-do list and turning away from your to-do list. Buchanan says this, At day's end, spend time in prayerful reflection on your day. Examine your comings and goings, your routines and disruptions, your work, your play, discoveries and disappointments. Think about who you met and who you missed. Think about your moments of aloneness. In all, ask two questions. When was I most alive, most present, most filled, and most fulfilled today? And when was I most taxed, most stressed, distracted, or depleted? A simpler, more spiritually focused version of the same questions would be this When did I feel closest to God? And when did I feel furthest? It can feel really good to complete a task list. I, I'm a person who likes to be able to complete my list during the day. But can it can also be life-giving to have someone remove that list of tasks altogether, if only, in, only for a moment. That, that someone is Jesus. And that something is Sabbath. I have begun to embrace Sabbath and to take the rest that God not only invited me into, but has commanded that my life deserves and needs. Won't you begin a regular time within your week just to accept his invitation, his command to take a time of rest in him, find grace and refuel? This morning, it is not a regular practice in our lives when we are in our regular rhythms, but in this time of quarantine, is there not a better time to begin the discipline of Sabbath when everything you knew and everything you were accustomed to has been stripped away. I hope you will, because God did it for your good and for mine. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you so much for loving us, loving us enough to give us Jesus that we could find rest from not only the heaviness of an earning culture religiously, but God, the heaviness of an earning culture that worships itself secularly. God, you desired that we would be a people free of all of this heaviness and that we would come to you and find rest, lightness. I pray today, and it's in Jesus alone that we can find it, that my people, my friends who are listening right now today would come to you and find rest, taking your yoke upon themselves, exchanging whatever yoke they've been carrying. It doesn't matter which side of the coin, sacred or secular, they would remove those yokes. And God, in you alone, in Jesus, you alone find rest. I ask this in your holy name, Lord. Amen. Today, we're moving to a time of response. And response is, again, about action, not about just simply identifying with some information or agreeing that information we received was good or adequate or not good or adequate. Here's the thing. Today, if you're looking at your life and you go, I am burning it at both ends and I need to be able to respond in worship, maybe you can do it in this way. The first way would be this. Today, maybe you just need to come to the Lord and confess your exhaustion. Maybe you need to confess your own lack of rest, your own disobedience to dishonor or disobey Sabbath and make that change today. Maybe you just need to sit in the sanctity of your own home and put before him your need to be rejuvenated and recognizing that he alone is the place where you can get that. So call upon Jesus right now, even as our band is starting to come back. Call upon his name and find rest. Maybe too, you need to make your lists. Maybe today you need to set aside your to-do list And then, make your not-to-do list and reserve a second of your time, a day of Sabbath in your week where you can just complete your not-to-do list, where you can put aside the ought-tos and embrace the have-tos. Take that guilt-free nap. Enjoy time listening to your favorite music, spending time resting in Him, sitting at His feet and being rejuvenated, a time for you to begin to dream again. Or lastly, maybe you're listening today and and today you find yourself just at a place where you're so heavy and you need prayer or you'd like to talk further. As always, you can email us at at prayeratthefellowship.cc. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love the opportunity to minister to you further and introduce you further to the rest that's found in Jesus alone. Let's continue to worship right now.